My son, he fell down the steps at school, banged his head. He fell really hard. And I'm going to tell you, that's a bad analogy. I shouldn't use it right now. But we fell much harder than that. How many know that's true? We fell much harder. We fell so far away. In fact, we fell to full separation from God in the garden by being uh, sons and daughters of disobedience and eating of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We talked about that. We're going to in, in, mom, in just a moment, talk about Genesis 3 and the curse that resulted from that. So this fell happened, and man constantly tries to live out good. How many know that's true? Like we oftentimes try to live out good. We want to do good for others. We want to be a good person. If, if you have faith or you don't have faith, everybody wants to be a good person unless you're a psychopath. Right? Like you want to do good for others. You want to do good for yourself. You want to treat people kindly. You want to have mutual respect for one another. This is something that's in us, but even in our good, we're bad. How many know that's true? Like even in all your striving and all your goodness and, and all this working, you find that you, you actually are very selfish at the core. And this is so true for humanity. Those who are outside of Christ is that they, the curse is still amongst them, still amongst people who don't love God and live for him and have been redeemed. And, and we keep falling short. And we read about this narrative in Genesis chapter 3 all the way through 11 where man constantly moves themselves to making themselves trying to be like God, but in that moment, they become false image bearers trying to prop themselves up with God, equal to them on their own merit, and they fell short. Tower of Babel, they, they erected their own tower. They said, we will be like God. It, it reached into the heavens so that they could have equal footing with God. And what did God do? God sees a heart not right with him, and he scatters them. He sends them back down that mountain, and he scatters them, and he picks a person, a family. And that's the story of Israel. And, and I really tried to introduce us to the story of Israel, and I did a very poor job because it's a very long book. But here's Israel's story is they were chosen by God. They were given this law, and the law, this covenant that God gave them was to keep them and set them on course for the one who could fully redeem them. And you know the story is Israel kept falling short. They started, um, first off, this law began to rule them in this theocracy, and then God sends judges to punish their iniquities and their violation of the law. And then they cry out for a king. God sends a king. That king was, was head and shoulders above everyone else. Then God chose a man after his own heart who would also be a king. That king is David. And then the kingdom split in two. And then, uh, then they began to be persecuted by the Assyrians and the Persians. And they were um, Babylonians. And they were taken into exile. And then, and then they finally return. They finally return. And the curse is still present amongst humanity as we see the story. And this is the curse that I want to read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, 
Remember what he did. He tempted Adam and Eve, and he gave them this forbidden fruit of which they ate in their disobedience, but he deceived them. And because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In this moment, we get the arrival of the, 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 the prophecy of the serpent stomper. Meaning there was going to be a man that comes from this woman who would be born of a woman, but a seed from God, not a seed of man. And he was going to be the man who would crush Satan under his heel. And at the same time, his heel would be struck and it would cost him his life. This is the moment that is prophesied about the serpent stomper coming into the scene. In Galatians 5.3 says this, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. That we all fall short, we're all falling short of this law, and we need somebody to break this curse. Amen. If you had a curse over your life, if you had a curse on your life, would you do anything to stop or reverse the curse? The only thing that could stop this curse is a divine reversal. And it's through this serpent stomper. This serpent stomper who was coming on the scene. And he was going to, he was going to make right our wrongs. Have you ever tried to wrong, right your wrong? I, I try to do it often. In marriage, I try to do it. My wife, Brandy, is coming in. She checked in kids this morning on the Ignite team. Can you give Brandy a big hand? She loves that direct attention. I'm going to pay for that later. Well, I'm so glad you timely made it. Now, we were talking about God's timing today, babe, and you made it just in time. There's these moments in marriage where I have this foot-and-mouth syndrome. You may recall this as I greeted you this morning on the way in to Luminous or on the way out. The foot and mouth syndrome happens often, and oftentimes I, I violate our covenant, our trust, by saying something not worthy of the covenant, if you know what I mean. I, 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 I cross the line, and as a result, my wife is upset, and what do I try to do? I try to right my wrong. I used to buy her flowers. I remember anytime I'd upset her, I'd clean the entire house. Any other, any other men do that? Any other husbands? You know, any roommates? Maybe you're not married yet, and you're cleaning the entire house because you had just violated your roommates. So you're trying to make up for your actions. But the truth is, is that, that no matter what we try to do to make right or wrong, it was insufficient when it comes to our right standing with God. We fell short, and we fall short. And it's, we needed somebody who was the appropriate Savior and the appropriate sacrifice to redeem us and make us new. And we read in John 1, 29, and we're going to go through several verses this morning. We read about John the Baptist and his whole mission, the cousin of Jesus, was to proclaim 
the one who was coming, the serpent stopper, was coming on scene. So the next day he saw Jesus, in verse 29, coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist recognizes Jesus, his cousin, and he calls him what? The Lamb. The Lamb of who? God. Right, Because if he wasn't the lamb of God, then he wouldn't be spotless. If he was man's lamb, he would still have blemish. If he was in this curse of creation, he would still be flawed. The sacrifice would be insufficient, and the stop would not be enough to crush the serpent's head. But it was the lamb of God without blemish. He was worthy and it was only him who was innocent, who could take away the sins of the world. In Luke 10, 11, John says this, or the angel says this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord, the Messiah and the king has arrived. The Messiah and the king has arrived in this moment. He was a prophet. He was a priest. And he is king. And here he is making a way and showing us how to live, what he was capable of, and how to set us free. The, the, the kingdom was coming, and the kingdom is good news. The arrival of the good news of the kingdom had come on scene. Mark 1.15 says this, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news. What is the good news? What is this news we're talking about? Bartholomew, Craig Bartholomew says this, he, Jesus of Nazareth, has been sent by the Father for one purpose alone, to make known the good news of the kingdom. Isn't this good news? This is great news. The kingdom was coming. You see, there was this earthly kingdom. We were the kingdom of our own hearts. We ruled over ourselves. And oftentimes, don't we try to still insert our kingdom into our lives? Our will, our domains, our, our rule. We try to do this oftentimes. Just think about it this week. I've tried to do it countless times. And yet Jesus comes onto the scene and says there is a kingdom that is coming, not of this world, but from God, from heaven to invade earth. A kingdom unlike any other. This kingdom is hard to recognize because it's not what we perceive it to be. See, we see a kingdom, one of force, one of great military power, one with great nuclear abilities, one with extreme monetary means. We, we see a kingdom in a way that is grandiose and, and it, it's all about big and grand. But Jesus introduces his kingdom on earth as he's walking as one that begins with weakness because it's in humility that actually strength comes about. Weakness is strength in his kingdom. Weakness is strength. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, For when I am weak, 
then I am. For when I am weak, then I am. That's it. This strength comes through this weakness. And how many of you know you don't want the weak person on your dodgeball team? How many of you know Ben Chapman got picked last for basketball? Every time. I've been trying to play pickleball with Steven Nelson for like five weeks. You know how many times Will's played with him? Like five times. You know how many times I played with him? Zero. Why? Because I'm weak. I'm frail. Can't even chase a wiffle ball. Yet, weakness is strength. It was Jesus going in physical weakness to take his kingdom back. It was Jesus emptying himself, emptying his his physical body. And he went in weakness, but full of something very important, full of what? The spirit. Luke chapter 4 says this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. For 40 days, Jesus went to the wilderness to take his kingdom back. For 40 days, he went and he faced that serpent in the wilderness. And he was tempted just like Adam, just like Eve, and yet did not sin. The Bible says he was tempted in every way. Does that mean he was tempted with Instagram and Snapchat and all these things? No. He was tempted in our propensities to disobey God. He was tempted in the propensity to lay down his authority. He was tempted just like you and me. See, it's not the vice that tempts us. It's the way the sin that is so enticing begins to sneak up upon us. In verse 13 and 14, after Jesus was in the wilderness accusing and coming against this devil, it says this, and when the devil had ended every temptation, every, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. It was in this moment that Jesus empties his physical being. He doesn't eat for 40 days. He is hungry. How many know he's hungry? But he's spiritually full. And through the spirit, he actually had strength. And this is important for us. You see, as we learn about Jesus' redemption in this story, it's when we become weak and we let the Holy Spirit empower us and take over that we can really accomplish what God's called us to do. How many of you just been striving and striving and striving in your own strength, trying to get ahead, trying to find happiness, trying to find fulfillment, trying to find something of substance, and you realize that it just leads to more striving? But when you say, Jesus, it's you who made a way, and Holy Spirit, it's you who've empowered me, and you have equipped me, and you have made me be able to 
deal with every situation that I will be tempted with. Every. Holy Spirit's always giving you a way out, and sometimes the way out is also the way through. The Holy Spirit empowering you to get you through your situation. Some of us have endured quite a bit of pains over the last few years. Some of us, we've lost people we really love. Some people have had some cancer diagnosis. Some people have had some relational strife and breaking apart. But Jesus says, I am enough. I will see you through. The Holy Spirit will get you through this. You are an overcomer. You will make it. And we see Jesus modeling that. He was tempted in all these ways. But the proof of him coming out in power after the temptation says, he's the serpent stomper. He's the one who's able to crush the serpent's head. For you and I, we could not make it. But Jesus Made it and makes a way. 40 days, he's tempted. He's tested. 40 days of interrogation. 40 days of uh, whatever the devil did. 40 days, and yet God moved, and the kingdom was not compromised, and the kingdom was lifted up, and he came out with greater faith, greater power, and kingdom arrival also brings revival to the land. Kingdom arrival is revival. It revives the land and it revives people. It brings hope and despair. It raises dead people to life. It raises dreams when they were broken. It brings new identity that we have not known before. Kingdom arrival is revival, but not how we like to look at revival. Not always how we like to look at it. You see, this kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. That's the irony of it. That's the reversal of it. You see, Jesus, when he's talking to us and he's saying, this is what my kingdom's like. I want to tell you what it's like. And he's on the, on the mount preaching his sermon, preaching the gospel, preaching the kingdom. He says, hey, guess what? I have happiness in store for you. How many of you want to be happy? All right, half of us. The other half, maybe you already are. We all want to be happy. And Jesus goes into the Beatitudes. And he goes in and he starts talking about things that just seem contrary. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This word blessed is directly translated to happiness. To happiness. And how many of you always heard, Jesus doesn't want you happy. He just wants you holy. I'm here to tell you, he wants you both. He cares about your happiness. He cares about your joy. He cares about your countenance. Why are you downcast? Why, why is your head low? He cares about you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to bless you. He wants to make you happy. He wants you to have happiness. But happiness doesn't look like a Lamborghini. Happiness doesn't look like a Mediterranean cruise, which Brandy and I really want to go on. For like a month. Maybe two. Leave our kids with you. You just pass them around. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And Jesus just starts preaching the word, the best sermon ever preached from the son of God to the sons of people, to humanity. And he starts speaking this and Jesus starts reversing the curse, overcoming temptation in the wilderness, reversing the curse by preaching the kingdom of God. Reversing the curse by praying for the sick, healing the blind, healing the lame. He starts reversing the curse by preaching good news. He starts reversing the curse by exercising demons out of people so that they no longer have authority. They no longer have control, but Jesus is the one who has the ultimate authority over your body, over your mind, over your heart. Jesus started introducing the kingdom to us, and it is a great kingdom He starts this process of speaking and preaching and the setup for redemption that what I'm say, what I say, I will fulfill. My example could also be the way that you live also. And Luke 6, 29, he says something in this sermon. He says to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. My West Texas friends are looking at me. They're like, bro, you strike me on the cheek. You're going to get hurt real bad. And Jesus saying, somebody strikes you on the cheek. Somebody hits you. Somebody moves in a way. Offer the other also. Because this life is temporary. I want love to come out. I want the gospel to come out. I want the kingdom to come out. I want God to come out. I want more of him. And from one who takes away your cloak, Steals from you? Offer what? Your tunic. Take my jacket? Here's my shirt. Y'all don't want me to take off my shirt. This is what Jesus is saying. It's upside down kingdom. It's this moment of acting differently than what your natural impulses lead you to act like. When the Holy Spirit takes over your life, God moves. It changes the way you walk, the way you talk, the things you think about, the way you live, the way you conduct your business, the way you do your studies, the way you parent, the way you roommates, the way the kingdom comes to earth. Heaven invades earth. Heaven invades earth, not through some mystical way, but through you. Through you. If somebody punches you, turn the other cheek. I was thinking about this. How do you take a punch where it doesn't hurt? So I was reading some boxing techniques, right? And if they're punching you, you know, like they punch you in the abs, flex, flex the core, right? Flex the core. Pastor Edgar looking at me. I know he used to be scrappy. Okay, I, that could, I just, probably a stereotype, bro. I'm so sorry. Um, okay, 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 thank you. Thank you for validating me. 
So, so if somebody punches you in the head, right, put your forehead into their fist. Somebody punches you in the cheek, kind of like. So the moment is to absorb the punches in the right places, to absorb the impact. And a lot of us, when we fight, we don't necessarily think about absorbing. We think about retaliation. How am I going to retaliate to this? How am I going to fight back? The interesting thing about this new kingdom that was coming on earth, the serpent stomper who arrived and this kingdom arrival that's bringing revival and this new way of thinking and living is this, is Jesus was saying that there is a lot of punches at you and there was a curse punched at you. But I want to let you know that I'm going to absorb that punch for you. I'm going to absorb it for you. This is what Jesus did. In fact, this is what he ultimately did is all the evil in the world. He absorbed in himself as a great punch into himself upon the cross. And he took this evil and this curse upon himself. And he took the blow. See, Jesus realized to go up. You must go down. In Matthew 23, 12, he says this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles, humbles himself will be exalted. So a moment where Jesus is preaching and he's fulfilling the promise of what he's preaching in this new way of living, that in order to go through and to be elevated, you must go down first. It's in the trials and in the pain and in the strain of life that something beautiful can happen, right? This is what Jesus models. We know it's true. Like athletes know it's true. Um, um, those who've gone through academics and get, gotten their PhD, they know it's true. There's a lot of strain, a lot of pressure, but that which is on the other side is greatness, right? It's like this new confidence, this new assuredness. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that to, to go up, you must go down. A seed must fall to the ground and die before it ever comes a tree and produces more fruit. This is our life. This is the kingdom way. And this is what Jesus did is Christ died. Aaron, come on up. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died died for us while we were still punching and we were scrappy and we're trying to get through life and we're trying to make it and we're trying to build our own kingdom while we were still sinners separated from God and his glory and his goodness cast out of the garden giving up our crowns and giving it to the serpent and while we were doing that Christ said I will absorb the punch I will absorb evil. I will absorb it upon the cross, and I will die for them. Christ's death for us was an act of love because he didn't have to, but he chose to. A willing lamb, a merciful lamb, moved with compassion to redeem humanity. He, did, he died willingly. And this is important to note that Jesus chose to die he chose to give up his life no one ambushed him 
No one took his life from him, but he gave his life willingly as a sacrifice. He was the lamb leading himself to the altar, giving of himself and bleeding for you and me so that our sin could be covered. John 10, 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It was the act of the greatest love. And we know in John 15, 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And it's why he came to redeem us from the curse. In order to redeem us from the curse, he had to crush the serpent. In order to crush the serpent, he himself must be crushed. If you remember, it says in Genesis 3, he crushed the head of the serpent with his foot. And at the same time, the serpent bruised his heel. It was in that moment that he died. He was crushed for us, for our iniquities. And his crushing brought about our healing. Aren't you thankful for that? In Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. Healed of what? Healed of living under a curse. Healed of living purposeless. Healed, healed of being illegitimate children. Healed of no longer be having access to God. Healed of that. The curtain was torn and we were presented and allowed into the Holy of Holies to have relationship. He healed broken relationship. He restored us. He restores my soul. He restores your soul. I want to pray for you this morning. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Maybe you don't know this Jesus. Maybe you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with him. You've been the king of your own kingdom, the king of your own castle, as we like to say in America. But you realize being a king of your own accord is really an illegitimate kingdom. And you want somebody else to reign and rule over your house. Someone greater than us, the Holy Spirit, to fill you. It says in John 1, 12, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but you are born again in the will of God. Father, I thank you for your children this morning. Let us place faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.